Welcome to The Sausage Factory, sponsored by Rocky, the content feedback platform. This is our regular look at the world of content marketing. So we're going to be celebrating the good and shining a light on what could be better with the single aim of encouraging the world to make better content. And we try and do that in 30 minute sausages for you every single month. So some introductions. I'm Matt Laybourne and I'm the founder of Rocky. And I'm Mark Willis, writer and resident sausage psychologist. Mm. So in this episode, we're going to be looking back at what we thought AI would mean for content marketing, and then find out how it really started to pan out with a side dish of content design chat. So to help us on the way, we're joined in the factory today by Glenn Sturgis, director of copy at Write This Way. So Glenn has spent three decades working and writing for brands, organizations, and agencies. Highlights include working lots of big tech and automotive brands at Wonderman, winning B2B Agents of the Year twice while at DNX, and managing a crack team of copywriters as head of copy at Ogilvy Business. After that, he led a team of content designers at BT and EE before starting his own business with Write This Way. What Glenn doesn't know about B2B copy and content isn't worth knowing. Husband, father of two boys, former keen cyclist, and now a complete golf obsessive, as well as a compulsive tea drinker. Glenn Sturgis is here. Welcome to the Stockbridge Factory, Glenn. How are you? Thank you for a lovely uh, intro and very warm welcome. Yeah, I'm very well indeed. Thank you, all things considered. Uh, and it's great to be here. And thanks for the opportunity to spout some, um, hopefully, words of wisdom about content and copy and all kinds of things. And I've got some props and I've got some, hopefully, some sensible answers for you. Although your question's frankly aren't that sensible well, well we're going to start really sensible so before we get to the blend which is the section where we talk to our content marketing celebrity that that's you about your journey and what makes good content we have the part of the show that lives on a knife edge will it be cancelled will it be picked up by a major television channel mm. and hosted by daytime television stalwart nick knowles who knows it is, of course, the sausage quiz where we ask very successful people in marketing very sensible questions about sausages. Um, as regular listeners will know, it's a three-part quiz that looks deep into the soul of our guest and ignores all the interesting psychological stuff to reveal their preferences on sausages. Glenn, without further ado, what's your favourite type of sausage? Well, I've spent a disproportionately long period of time researching this part of the, the book. I've got <laughs> answers for you. So look, it's a difficult question. What's your favourite type of sausage? I like all kinds of sausage. But for versatility, I think I'm going to go Iberian. Oh. Um, and I'm going to go to chorizo. So that's mm. chorizo. Not as 99% of people I've ever met call it chorizo or chorizo um <laughs> it's a spanish word and shouldn't bastardize it i don't think anyway, <laughs> my choice um it's great on its own and it's it's great when you add it to other stuff so it's it's got a really long shelf life like you can leave it out on the side for a week and it's still fine and you can eat it hot or cold it comes in lots of different varieties um and it comes with a handy piece of string um which if you buy lots of them you could join them on a long piece of spring <laughs> um, so uh, yeah there's lots to be said for chorizo chorizo uh, so that would be my my favorite type of sausage i did ask my wife this question she said should you really be asking that question 
if you have a woman uh, on the... Well, let's not go down that road. You have something in common with Matt Laybourne then, because I believe that was your favourite type of sausage as well, Matt. I, I definitely used the wrong uh, pronunciation. Because yeah, think... the Essex in me came out and I was like, chorizo. <laughs> People know what you're talking about. It's just, you know, for, you know, detail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Must try yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's see if there are any commonalities um, in the answer to the next question, which is favorite sausage based dip? Toad in the hole. I mean, every time, especially with autumn. I mean, it is just the autumnal, but very specifically, I mean, after years of, of making them and never quite getting the batter right. We've now found that M&S do a, like a, a pre-made one and it has to be M&S specifically. It has to be M&S because we tried the others and it's just brilliant. It's great. It's a great meal. We don't waste any food and it's probably cheaper than doing it yourself. So yeah, toad in the hole all the way. Big fan of toad in the hole. Good answer. So the most controversial of our three questions, preferred meat to non-meat percentage, preferred meat percentage. Let's just Focus on the positives. I mean, again, I'm, I'm going to sit on the fence a bit. I don't really have a preference. I did notice in a previous, I think it was Jane, mm. uh, the much lined um, pork sausages in baked beans, which has become a bit of a, a lunchtime staple in the Sturgis household. This, uh, the answer to this question is entirely mood-based and non-elitist. And uh, so, like, you take them, they're actually... There's actually about 10% of pork in that whole tin. Well, the sausage content is 17%, but actually of that, only 62% is pork. Yeah, that's correct. Um, mm. So overall, that makes about 10%. But God, if it hits the spot, who's, who's to argue? I mean, yeah, and I'm also with Jess Crandon. I think he was one of your fantastic earlier guests. And she was talking about zero meat content, you know, and, and I do make a quite a mean meat-free sausage plant, I have to say. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all down to context. Like, like a lot of things, it's all down to content, context. Uh -huh. Never say never when it comes to, to meat percentages. There, there's a soundbite for us anyway. <laughs> Um, it's, it's it like a really bad Bond film. Don't worry about the plot. We're working out our own Well, thank you very much. That's, um, I'll tell you what, I'm, I, it, it got, it's, it's got me thinking we're going to get a montage of all of these together now. So I'm looking forward to seeing these as like a, basically what a single episode of sausages. So now we've got that vital part of the discussion out of the way, let's, uh, let's get into content. So you've had a long and varied career across content and copy. So what have been, um, the biggest changes you've seen in that time? And as those changes have happened, what is your, you know, how's your relationship evolved in that space as well? I think as your previous guests have all ended up saying probably a lot more eloquently than me, it always comes back to the reader or the user or the audience, or however you want to term them. You know, if you start there, you can't really go wrong. And I don't think that's changed that much, despite all the technological advances and the different ways of thinking about how we create content or copy or the stuff that people consume. You know, in the B2B world that I've operated in for the last 15 or so years, you know, it's about the buyer and knowing where that buyer is on their journey. 
And if you get that right, then hopefully, you know, the rest of it should flow from that. Uh, because we often forget in our bubble of an industry that we work in that the people out there, us as well, because we're out there, don't really care about advertising or marketing. They really don't. It does, it, you know, we're interrupting their day. And people these days, probably one of the changes, people these days, poor colours comes down pretty quick. If people feel that they're being sold to or marketed to. And honestly, you, you believe the disparaging looks I get from people when I tell them what I do for a living and I'll just say, oh, work in advertising or marketing. I might as well tell them I'm an estate agent. Um, so, um, but that ultimately, that's what we do. It's salesmanship, right? Or salespersonship in print form or in copy form. And so, you know, that element of, of selling what we do is, is, is really important. And that hasn't changed. The skill set these days is much, much broader. I mean, I'm always impressed by, by some of the young generation of, of copywriters and content people coming through with the amount of, of, of skills, especially in the digital world that they've, they've got. You know, I come from an anthropology background. That's what I studied at uni. And that's been really useful for understanding people and understanding motivations and mm. the psychology behind decisions and all of that stuff. But now I think the broader your skill set, better. If you're, if you're thinking of making a, a career in content, whatever that is, and not limited to words, I'll come back to that later. And then, yeah, never stop learning. And there's so much learning out there on the interweb net. Um, you, you've got no excuse not to. And then, you know, the last thing I'd say really is, is in terms of me personally, how I've changed is I've got much better at creating content because I now understand the process involved much better. And at first I had really had no idea what I was doing. It was, I remember a creative director describing me as Glenn's an intuitive writer, um, which was fairly kind actually. Uh, and I quite like that label, but I like to feel I'm more informed now as a writer. So intuitive, it sounds a bit guessworky, um, whereas informed, you know, you're taking insights from data, from qualitative and quantitative feedback. You've just got a deeper understanding of the buyer, the reader, the user. And, and like I said, there's no excuse not to these days because everything we do is trackable and what it should be. And sorry, the last thing I want to say is I've definitely got grumpier. That won't be, there's just no excuse for shit content these days. I'm really intolerant of, of bad user journeys on websites or content that doesn't even do the basics, like have a clear call to action or help me get a very simple, specific job done. And we're all uh, filling out forms online much more these days, whether it's a checkout form or whatever, you know, even the smallest thing, if you want to get some content, sometimes you have to fill out a form. And, and lazy coding that jumps you around forms or, or poor UX copy where you're not supposed, you don't understand what you're supposed to do next, uh, just really grinds my easily grindable gearbox. So, yeah, there, there will be grumpy moments this morning. I do. I do. <laughs> well, I wonder if, I wonder if we can try and provoke a, a grumpy moment. I suspect not, actually, because one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about was was AI, obviously the topic that's everywhere, but you were talking about it well, back in 2017. You gave a great talk at Copy Cabana. Um, the talk was the robots are coming. I think yeah. we can safely say the robots are here. How are you feeling about the robots? In particular, their kind of, I think, meteoric rise over the last year or two in particular. 
Yeah, I think we made, I, I mean, I did that talk with, with Pete Stevens. He's probably one of the loveliest copywriters I've ever worked with. So it was a double act. And uh, yeah, it was an event run by Vicky Ross. If people out there not following Vicky Ross, you bloody well should be. Um, I think we made a 20-year prediction back then. That's now looking extremely optimistic. <laughs> like you, what you said, that what's happened in the last year or so. I mean, our whole argument back then was embrace the tools. Ignore AI at your peril. And, and then we had the obligatory Rory Sutherland quote, because we were working at Ogilvy at that point, about using AI as, not thinking about it as, as artificial intelligence, but augmented intelligence. Like, how can it help us? How can we use yeah. that as a tool? You know, humans doing their thing, machines doing what they do best. Chat GPT. God, there's so much hype about it, which, which I find annoying, mainly because sometimes you can't even get on it. I mean, it's good for some stuff. I use it early in a project as a research assistant. I, I use it to filter ideas, to, to just run things by it, a bit of lateral thinking. But the trouble with it is, is less the input side, it's more the output side. I, it spits out what I think, this is not my term, but somebody's called hot garbage. So it's impressively quick. It can pr provide detailed definitions and help you get your head around a topic, which is something that I have to do a lot in B2B world because I don't. Uh, know everything surprisingly enough and once you start to examine what it the output what it produces it very quickly falls apart if mm -hmm. and you know and by any self-respecting copywriter standards it also can't follow simple rules it like forgets things that you've told it and and then it's really apologetic when it's when you point them out it's like, don't apologize just get it right <laughs> <laughs> You robot. You're supposed to make my life easier. Get stuff you tell it bizarrely, but it also just blatantly makes things up, mm. which is just really not helpful. I'm gradually learning, and it is getting better as well. That's the other thing I've, I've sort of noticed that when I use a word, it understands the context of that word a little bit more. When I direct it or prompt it in a certain way, it's more attuned to me, which is a bit sort of scary. But big brother, but that's the whole point, right? I suspect it's already putting some kind of lazy copywriters who are quite happy creating dull content out of work. Yeah. The consequence of this is, is, is a lot of, there's a lot more content being added to the digital landfill that's already out there. Yeah. I mean, it's meteoric. It's last year. I, I'd be interested to know if they're actually making a profit. Yeah. There's a long way to go with it. It's, it's been interesting because, um, the, if you actually look at some of the stats around ChatGPT, it had this incredible peak, this hit this mountain high, probably about six months ago. It was the, just after the start of the year, I guess, wasn't it? But the stats were incredible then. I think everyone signed up. But um, I saw some data recently. I'll make sure I share this um, with our listeners afterwards as well. But like usage of ChatGPT, it's like it's on a downward curve. Like the, it's gone past the hype train, the, the gold rush, so to speak. There's a few implications there because I think a lot of people, like a lot of other applications have incorporated ChatGPT. It's in Canva, it's in Microsoft Suite, it's in, like, it's kind of weaseled its way into every part of our lives. And I'd say, I'd say that weaseled, that's probably slightly harsh, but it does, ha it does have good use cases. What you said there was really interesting. We've said this so many times. There's an abundance of bad content now out there. Um, we've had previous guests talk about it, like SERP result pages is just to flat of just the same repeated regurgitated here's the information you asked for here it is back to you which is losing that creativity and excitement that 
the readers get. And people know it, they can detect it, and they kind of move away. I keep going back to it. It feels like, a, like what's this 5% that you can do that's different that makes you stand out? When everyone looks the same, I'm going to go to like a, they're from a song, but like everybody looks the same with kind of looking at each other. But what what's that 5% that other copywriters can and how have your predictions changed over um, over the last five or six years since you first spoke about it? I think it depends where you are in your career. If you're just starting out and thinking, right, I'm going to make a career in content and copy, good luck to you. Because I seriously consider a career change. Because <laughs> I think this stuff is, is so good now that I remember a, a, a creative director t- saying to me, it's probably the one who called my content or my copyright style intuitive. But he said, yeah, you've got your cop- the copy you produce, and this is very early in my copywriting career, right? You know, I still hadn't got a clue what I was doing. And, and he was like, on a functional level, your copy is great. It's, it's valuable stuff. It's informative. But it lacks a, what he called a frisson. Just that, mo- that memorable moment in a piece of copy. And you, you can push it too far, obviously. Uh, in fact, I've just had a brief today, which is, oh, can you bring a Halloween-y feel to it? <laughs> like, God. Uh, yeah, I could, but I'd also have to slash my wrist straight <laughs> off. Um, Please share with me this piece of John <laughs> I, I really want to see what the injection of Halloween is in <laughs> Let me just ground you for a second. It's a webinar about expenses paid and management. Anyway, it could be a choice of word or a different way of expressing something. It's just something that lifts that off the page. And I think humans copywriters content marketers you can still do that using your own brain your own experiences your own take on things you know but it does require some homework and some effort on your part you do have to what used to be called interrogate the brief you do have to get to an understanding of what you're trying to communicate that's deeper than most of the other people who've either thought about the brief or who work in the agency or whatever, you know, there aren't really any shortcuts still. You know, once you boil something down to the real nub of the, the point that you want to get across, then find a way of saying that in an interesting way. And I don't think machines can do that yet. I think it's it, we, we still hold the cards on that front, which is great and at the moment. And my advice is, is you know, I mean... Frog farts like me, you know, the craft side of the job is still really important. So if you're just coming into the industry or you're in the foothills of your career, just keep learning and keep, you know, less guesswork and more homework really mm. would be my, my approach. I was going to ask you about where you, where you think humans still have the edge. And I think you've, you've kind of already answered that in a way. But I was thinking back to that, the robots are coming presentation. Yeah as well and like i think it it almost sounds like we're saying the machine can almost do some of the logical stuff for us but some of the kind of i'm gonna it's probably a really bad way to describe it but the more magical stuff the stuff that as you're saying kind of makes somebody actually want to read it in the first place like that's still the bit that it's that ai struggles with or can't do and thinking back to that um that talk that you gave do you you think that's the kind of the emotional the magical side of copywriting is is still going to be our edge for the foreseeable future completely last time i looked my brain hadn't changed a huge much ai might have moved on a bit but my my brain still does it's good at robots are brilliant for data analysis for translation language natural language understanding you know what 
ChatGPT spits out is an amalgamation of of, of all of, of of our knowledge, but that's all it is really. They're good at averages, right? Um, percentage play, uh, so they can automate stuff. They can they don't get tired and grumpy and constantly, <laughs> constantly refilling with tea and coffee, like me. And information retrieval, that kind of stuff, pulling up facts and explanations instantly. Amazing. Brilliant. Well done, robots. Humans, we've still got the upper hand because the, the, the greatest machine still on this planet is the one between our ears. How many, you know, had a brief, but we need to create some emotion around this, you know? And so that emotional intelligence that we've got, understanding emotions, motivating people to do, think, feel something, that, that is our bag, right? Creative thinking, you know, lateral thinking, all that kind of stuff. We're still, we're the true creators, really, when it comes to ideas and art and stories. We can do that. We might not practice it as much as we should, but we can do it. And decision-making, stuff that requires judgment, you know, something moral, moral or ethical or perhaps a longer-term consideration. You know, machines can't grasp that. They, they mm. don't have that nuance pattern. Whereas that is in the brain. And we're also very adaptable. Humans could adapt and unexpected things pop up, situations, you know, we, we, robots can't predict that. I'm not sure we can predict it so much. I think we're certainly more adaptable in the moment. So, yeah, and then there's a whole bunch of things that, that you know, outside of our world that, I, I you know, I suppose the dream with machines, isn't it, that they're going to be doing all the menial tasks that we don't, we can't be asked to do. Yeah. But they're still way behind us in terms of things like dexterity and mobility and flex flexibility. I mean, I know, you know, they're, they're really good at those repetitive tasks, but, you know, I think it'd be a long time before there's a robot wandering around my house doing all that. And I'm, can you wash that up? Can you do <laughs> this thing? You know, well, they're definitely here, right, for, for the long term. And I know the other thing, the backlash over the last year has been, you know, a lot of very important people going, well, we're getting a little bit far down this path without understanding the implications. Mm. Yeah. Whether the rabbit is out of the hat, really, I, I don't know yet. We'll find out. We will. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. There's some real food for thought there. I'm just going to change tack slightly because there's a big part of this. This is a personal preference of mine is to pick your brains on, on content design. So in, in some of your previous roles, you've, you've gone about that for some, some really big tech companies. What is content design? I think everyone has a slightly different definition. And it's almost a, a contradiction in terms like content design. I thought, I'm <laughs> right. So I can hear them everywhere going, oh, I don't do design. Let's start with a definition. The person, Sarah Richards, who, who has kind of defined content design and worked on a lot of the gov uk sites and everyone should buy this book by the way from mm. design london 1099 it's a good book her definition of it is it's limit yourself to words yeah content design means not limiting yourself to just words and that's the whole point so it, you know when a when a copywriter might ask uh well how shall i write this a content designer would would think what content will best meet the need and that's the difference really i think between content design and copywriting there's another really good book which because it was totally a crash course when i joined bt and ee we had a team of 200 content designers i mean we we're producing content oh. 
apps and websites at scale and mm. with lots and lots of constraints. And um, so I threw myself into understanding what this was by reading a lot. This is another really good book, Content Strategy by Christina Halvorsen and Melissa Rack. And, and they use this really lovely analogy in here, the difference between um, content and copywriting. So I'm just going to read it. So when th people think about the content development process, so they think about it like baking a cake, getting the ingredients, gathering source content, stirring them up, compiling, writing, editing, cooking it, finalizing and approving, then frosting it, adding it to the design, which I thought I was quite a neat way of, of talking about what I do most of the time, which is these days, which is copywriting. And then she goes on to say, this is exactly the kind of thinking that leads to 11th hour content catastrophes. Yeah. Oh, because in reality, doing the content is a whole lot more like running a bakery. There are countless details to consider. You have to manage people. That in itself is kind of enough, isn't it? Equipment is expensive and it breaks and you, get, you might get the recipes wrong. You might start losing money. You get, you know, you get the picture, right? It's one thing can be done in your own head a little bit, you know, the making of the cake. But when it comes to content design at scale, you know, genuinely trying to solve user needs with a, an online experience, it it's a team sport. It requires lots of different skill sets, and things need to be done methodology according and in the right order as well. So you don't start writing until way down the process when you've done your research, your testing, you've made sure you understand the user needs, you, you create a minimum viable product. You know, it's this failing fast kind of mm. mentality. At BT, we had this build, measure, learn. So, you know, we, we wouldn't faff about too much. We'd get something made, then we'd measure it, and then we'd learn from it and iterate and iterate and iterate it. In some ways, they're very close content design and copywriting, but in other ways, they're miles apart in terms of the, the different skill sets that are required. That's a very, very top line kind of a, a view of how, how those two things are different. I'm not sure I answered the question there. Content design is a, is a process and a methodology more than, more than anything. Um, and you, you certainly couldn't get away with being an intuitive copywriter and being good at, but, content design it requires a lot more discipline yes obviously from a rocky perspective as well being a content feedback platform like the role of feedback in um, content design is quite interesting when you're failing fast and building measuring mm -hmm. learning i mean can you tell us a little bit more about the role that <clears throat> testing and feedback play in content design what it kind of meant for you on a on a day-to-day -day basis before i answer that i'm just going to there's an Ogilvy quote, and I'm probably going to misquote him, but, you know, he's always misquoted. But he, he talks about target audience as not a standing army, but a moving parade. And this is the thing with content design. Nothing's ever completely done. And as I said before, people don't really care about the advertising or marketing. The approach should be that nothing ever is completely perfect or 100% done. So testing is just ongoing. It's it, part of what you do it's part of the process of creating content and once you publish that content learning from it learning what's working what isn't i often i've often found me included copywriters and content people talk a good game on this front but when it comes to actually doing it yeah i mean how many briefs have you seen where 
again, the one I had this morning was like, well, we've just done a webinar. What was some of the feedback? from the previous one, either from the presenters, from that learning approach and understanding what worked before and what might not work in the future is, is often missing, but that's the secret source a lot of the time. So, I mean, the, the content design stuff is is fascinating, but unfortunately we've got to pause for a, a commercial message <laughs> from, one, from our esteemed sponsors. It's otherwise known as the outlet for Matt's frustrated theatrical career. Let's take a break. Welcome to another game of marketing and guesswork. In this show, we feed content marketers random metrics and let them guess what they think their user experience was. On our show today is Jazz. Jazz, are you looking forward to it, buddy? Uh, yeah, sure. Right, Jazz, let's get you started. Question one. Mail trader on your blog is high. Did your users have a good experience or a bad one? Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Um, you know, they probably didn't like the blog. <laughs> Wrong! They loved the blog. In fact, they read the whole thing and then they left and came back another day. They ended up actually buying your software. Oh, okay, cool. Number two. Dwell time on your webinar is high. What was the customer experience? Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. Positive. A great webinar. <laughs> Wrong. Most of the users actually found that webinar to be boring, but started it and left it open on a second screen. Oh, uh, okay, sure. Final question, Jez. You better pick it up. You really aren't doing very well. Your state of the market report got 500 downloads. What was the user experience of that content? That's an easy one. We nailed it. We got loads of leads. <coughs> No way, Jez, you didn't nail it. You failed it. So you judge success on how many people clicked a download button, but your content failed to resonate with the audience and sales are really unhappy now because they have to deal with a lot of crappy leads. Thanks for joining us, Jez. Better luck next time. Do you want to take the guesswork out of your content performance? Get Rocky the content feedback platform, and find out what your users really think of your content. Visit rocky.io to get started. So now it's time for Matt's bangers. This is the section of the show where we showcase a piece of content that we absolutely love and that our guest loves. And so Glenn, over to you. What have you got for us? Well, you know, I thought about the audience. I was thinking Sausage Factory, who's going to be watching this? And it's copywriters and it's content creators and it's content marketers. Am I wrong? Let's have a piece of content that's going to be helpful. And honestly, I read a lot of self-help books, as you can tell. Uh, and this one, which is Dan Malkin's book, which was eight years in the making, a self-help guide. for no. <laughs> One of the most helpful ways of, it's so many, oh, aha, that's what I do. That's what my brain does when I'm doing this thing i don't know dan although i you know hooked up with him on linkedin and all of that and brilliant but i thought i'd get in touch because i i was really keen to understand why he wrote the book what essentially was the user need he was addressing right back to that and um, god it is it's just a fab book it's such a joy to read as uh, I'm, I'm sure mark will attest it's full of tips it's full of nudges it's full of encouragement when you're kind of 
facing a blank page or, or, or up against a brick wall with either the craft or the process. And just his love of words and creativity just comes across on every page. So anyway, I buttered Dan up. Here's what he said about why he wrote the book. So one, I needed help. It's why it's called a self-help guide for copywriters. When we wing the creative process, we have no idea how we do what we do. To quote Jason Bagley, who's the Old Spice kind of creative director, I felt like a magician who didn't know the secret to his own tricks. And each new assignment was like being pushed onto stage to pull another rabbit out of the hat. But I didn't have a hat. I didn't know where the rabbit was and whether it would be an eel or a hamburger or a shovel or nothing at all. It was a terrifying feeling to be responsible for an outcome I didn't feel I had any control over. That's how I felt and it's why I wrote the book. It was my attempt to learn my own tricks and some new ones. So that's good enough reason. He's given another one. Two, I needed to create something just for me. Not for a brand, not for an agency, just for me. And if you're a creative at any level, I encourage you to do the same. But maybe don't write a book. People don't read anymore, etc. But I, I just buy it. I mean, it's full of examples of ads. If I've missed the point of this segment, which was, here's some lovely content that somebody's creative. I've given you a book that's got millions of examples in there anyway. Uh, yeah, he's just a lovely person to follow because he's always just so positive and, and loves what he does, which is infectious, I find. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my Matt Banger. Amazing. So, I, yeah, I absolutely concur with, with that. It's a fantastic book. And I love the fact, Glenn, that there's kind of a thread to this podcast because it starts with or that, that feedback that you got from the creative director about being an intuitive writer. And I think that's one of the things that, as you're saying, that Dan's book does is it helps you go from being intuitive to being, as you said at the start, forms that you understand copywriting is still scary, but it's a lot less scary when you know, you understand what you're doing and you understand the process and the different, you know, spells that you go through during the creative process. Mm. Speaking of scary things, sausage of mm. death. For every Matt's banger, we have to have a sausage of death and just a quick reminder of where this comes from and um, where we think it comes from anyway. I mean, we haven't really done our due diligence on this phrase. I'm, I'm worried now that Glenn, you have, and you found out that it doesn't mean what I think it means, but Danish slang for something that's really boring is Doden's Pulsar or Sausage of Death. And that's, that's our uplifting way of, of finishing the show by um, awarding one awfully dull or poorly written uh, or unsuccessful piece of content, uh, the Doden's Pulsar title. So, Glenn, do you have a Sausage of Death for us? I do. It's, it's a lesson for all those brands out there. Beware the spurn copyright. <laughs> It's, it's, you might have heard of this brand. It's called Rossignol. They're French. They make, they, they make ski equipment and mountain equipment, that kind of stuff. And as I used to be in, they also make mountain bikes, weirdly. As I used to be into mountain biking, I kind of, they've been on my radar for a bit. I got in touch with them via a friend and just tried to offer my help because their email marketing is abysmal. I mean, they probably make loads of money on it. Every time, like a lot of these companies, they send out shit emails. And, and people buy stuff. I mean, mm. it's incredible. Uh, given the quality of some of their, that I'm now on their mailing list. Honestly, every email I get from them is a joy for all the wrong reasons. From typos to, to sort of wordy, meaningless drivel, content to copy that 
that takes 50 words to say what you could have said in two words that looks like it's been through a google translate at some point and then translate it back into the original language and then oh fuck it let's translate it again i mean it's that or the copy i mean the one recent one that i'd highlight i mean first of all it was talking about client and i think they meant customers right which in my language is you <laughs> the person reading this anyway it's all about you sending in your photos of you wearing our products but honestly it's just such a convoluted way and I, 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 honestly you read two paragraphs you don't know if you're the customer who owns you're like and the, the call to action i mean it's lost it's way down it's just and so yeah and i'm sorry russell girl, but you really should have employed me <laughs> It's not too late, Russell. It is too late. If they just consistently go for it. So, yeah, Russell. Wow. I, I love uh, some of your B2C brands selling some nice, you know, consumer wear and things like that. And I love they're using what is essentially B2B language, which is very personal. Dear clients. <laughs> Honestly, it's every, every, I just sign up to their email list. I mean, they'll be able to drop it. Just for fun. It's just, it's just great. It's just like some, there's always some gift in the email where you kind of read the line and go, oh, Christ alive. Why have they said it like that? Or, or you know, just, yeah. So it's it, in a weird kind of way, I'm reveling in the, the, the sausage of death. That's what it's there for. We've all got our bugbears and brands that don't quite behave the way we want them to. So Glenn, thank you so much. Um, that brings us to the end of the episode. But before we say goodbye, where can people find out more about you and about Right This Way? Does what it says on the tin, rightthisway.co.uk. You can fill out a content form if you want to get in touch. And I'm not going to give you the hard sell at this point. If you've got B2B kind of stuff, I'm, I'm your man, I suppose. Uh, yeah, find me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, there's not many Glenn Sturgises out there. In fact, the only one that I've ever come across is the one who's in the sitcom, the sit in the supermarket. He was the manager of the sitcom. Yes. That's yeah. What? Yes, I didn't think about that. What? That's a really underrated show as well. I mean, yeah, his character is just... Did, did your heart sink when you see that character develop behind that guy and you're like, I do not yeah, want that. One of my team at Over When the Third Show first came, God, it must have been back five, six years ago now, but said, oh my God, do you realise there's a Glenn Sturgis on a, who's, who's a rotund um, supermarket manager in the States, a, a complete buffoon. I mean, so there are some similarities. So, <laughs> Through our listeners, don't do not get those two mixed up. This isn't Glenn Sturgis from the supermarket show. That's amazing. So, right, let's get this sausage uh, wrapped up, get it packed, and get it back onto the shelves. So, in future shows, we're going to continue to dissect what truly great content looks like with a number of guest experts. So, if you enjoyed what we do and you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, contributions to Matt's bangers, or conversely, the dreaded sausage of death, are always welcome. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or X or whatever you know, decides to call it this or next week. Uh, you can find Rocky on LinkedIn or visit our website at rocky.io. Until then, that is all from the Sausage Factory. Thank you so much to Glenn for being on the show. We're going to make sure all those links, recommendations, books, and other bits and pieces 
all included in the show notes for you. So go and take a look at those. Thank you so much for listening and do not forget to give us your feedback. Mm-hmm.